a variety that you, the designer wants to use from a personal perspective level, you know? I'm sorry, I'm not even listening. Um, <laughs> I'm not even listening to what you're talking about. I'm okay. just watching you throw a cat across the room. Damn it. <laughs> He's jumped up three times. He they sure really has. Want food. They usually he get sure that at 6 and I... <laughs> Oh my ah. God. It's a new ah, Olympic okay. sport. <laughs> He's very uh, persistent. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Interrogang Podcast, your weekly shot of typography news and notes, where we'll be sharing with you some new type releases from the past week and what has got us thinking in the world of type design and creativity. The Interrogang Podcast is an extension of Proof & Co., a website dedicated to digging into the world of independent typography and bringing discussions of type to a wider audience. I'm your host, Joshua Dick, along with Interrogang co-host, the incredibly talented and committed type enthusiast, and a man who very proudly bakes his own bread, Kyle Reed. Hi, Josh. How's your day today, Kyle? <laughs> Pretty good. Not too bad. Very good. It did not you have bread today. In it. Yeah, but uh, I've got bread planned for tomorrow. Man cannot live on bread alone, so you, you can try. I'm glad you had something else. <laughs> Maybe a, a cracker or two. We will be referring to the Proof & Co. weekly newsletter in this and every episode, which you can subscribe to at proofco.xyz to use as a visual reference. Here we are all the way in week 41, 2021. Hi, everyone. I wanted to start off this roundup of the week's most notable releases by saying that it's brought to you by the number two. Yes, two. Two. two, two, two. <laughs> There seemed to be something duplicitous in the water this week because a large number of the typeface families released have a certain duality to them. What do I mean by that? Well, hopefully you'll see what I mean here as we run through them. And if you are listening to this podcast at home or at work, if you hear us say the number two, you need to scream a la Pee Wee Herman very loudly. Two. Yeah, good. I, I heard everyone. Great. <laughs> First up, let's give a big hello to the wiggly and wonderful world of June, the latest release from Sumo Type. June is a duo of fonts, one wild and emphatic, the other structured and tailored, expressing a storied concept designed by Fercozzi and Oscar Guerrero. Fercozzi's design is centered around the theme of curiosity, or the right hemisphere of the brain that tries to continuously challenge itself by looking for new ways to express its ideas. It has a panoramic view, looks at the present and, and the future is impetuous, and it takes risks. On the other hand, Oscar's design is a study in the idea of action, or the left hemisphere of the brain, a structured way that follows a precise method step by step. This side would uh, would focus on details, perception of patterns, strategies, and practical things. Together, these two families make a complete type system of expression. So I've paraphrased what the Foundry has put out there as information on this typeface. Uh, I think it uh, drives at the heart of the concept in this in this typeface quite well. It's basically a left brain, right brain, creative expression versus pragmatism uh, in play throughout a, a type system. It's really fun. Very overall, a very cool type project, bringing a different flavor to the table. And I just wanted to point out that in their specimen, 
they they use the phrase the secret of ugliness consists not in irregularity but in being uninteresting which is a nice way to describe uh this font though not how the kids in recess framed it to me growing <laughs> up uh they were they were quite content that my ugliness came from my irregularity oh. but that's beside the point Actually, that statement is pretty profound. I, I think that deserves to be on a plaque somewhere or a big poster. Or on a type specimen. Think about that one more. Yeah. So second, or number two, ah! is Dalton Meg's newest retail catalog offering, Shader. Shader is, quote, a typeface which celebrates the rise of esports and professional gaming with clarity, expressiveness, and a modern and open gamer aesthetic, end quote. Gamer aesthetic. Josh, you know anything about gamer aesthetics? Um, I mean, I I have played many a video game in my life. Yes, you have. And I thought you would like this one. Whether I, I could claim to truly know gamer aesthetic. <laughs> I, I don't know if I have quite that ego yet. But mm. Well, Shader taps into that by coming in two styles, solid and inline, for a total of 18 fonts. Perhaps less wild and emotive as June but still split in its offering of a straight-ahead digitally native sans, being based on the world of gaming, after all, and the insertion of an inline, which in itself splits each letter form in twain. There are lots of inline types out there, and I'm not sure how much uniqueness necessarily Shader brings to the table, but it's a great set of types born out of a really specific reference, which is always nice to see. And the third release I wanted to bring up today is Resonance A and B from Out of the Dark. The two Resonance families are both stark and sturdy slab serif types designed as slab counterparts to the foundry's Rauschen A and B sans families released earlier this year. Each family is available in six fonts in six weights, so just six, (laughs) no italics, uh, for a total of 12 new fonts. Uh, The bold strength and unapologetic oddity instilled in the Rauschen types are certainly present in these slabby versions. And again, it's really hard to tell the difference between the A and B families here, I'm going to be honest. But I think it all comes down to a subtle shift in tone and uh, presence, which is something I think Out of the Dark does really well. The typeface just has a presence about it, and I love that. Um, It's kind of like one of those spot-the-difference puzzles we all grew up with. Um, you know, how many things can you find awry between these two puzzles? Um, oh, sorry. Ah, <laughs> glad you're keeping up. I can see this type going a few places that uh, other slabs just can't. Um, and hopefully we'll see it sporting out there in the coming weeks and months. Excited to see where this one goes. Um, so that's pretty much it for me. Did you catch the duality theme in there, Josh? Duality, you mean meaning two? Two. Two. <laughs> no. no, you got to do it. The Pee Wee Herman. Oh, never mind. Uh, I'll leave we're out, of, we're out of time. We're out of time. <laughs> so what have you been thinking about uh, since the last time we spoke, Josh? I have been thinking about uh, all these type releases with a with a particular focus on how they are released in this day and age of social media. Um, especially for independent type foundries, once you're ready for release, you turn to social media to get the word out. This isn't mm-hmm. the good old days when you had to be a part of a larger group to be included in just a once in a while bundle of releases. Right. Um, you you have control over how and when uh, you announce your release. 
and uh, and that's really all well and good. But uh, but social media, of course, is the option du jour these days, and that means you have to subject your new baby to the intrepid darkness that is Twitter. Oof! I love that pictorial depiction there, man. Well, you know, <laughs> I feel it now. Your new baby now. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I'm assuming everyone who's listening knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and now type t- type people are relatively nice people. Mm-hmm. There's no people like type people. Mm. But that doesn't that doesn't necessarily save anyone from trollish scrutiny on the World Wide Web, on the information superhighway, if you will. Mm-hmm. So all that has me wondering, what is it? What is considered a win? When you first put mm. something new out there, assuming that you'll, you uh, you will receive some negative response, how much is too much negative response before you just curse the day you ever conceived of the font and go cry in a corner? Is it is it just enough? Yeah. Is it enough to just put it out there? Do you are there people out there mm-hmm. who look forward to the criticism in hopes to learn and do better next time or? Uh, I think for me, the smartest move, are there people out there who just insist on never reading the comments and it's out there and they then <laughs> leave it. Yeah, that might be the smartest option. I guess all this circles back to that age old question of who do you do this for and, and why mm-hmm. do you do this? Um, so, Kyle, I just wanted to, to touch base with you. What's your experience introducing the world to your work or the work to your world? Uh, man, that's so there's some great questions that you've posed. Um, I think it is very daunting to put anything out there on the internet, whether that's, you know, whatever your creative medium is or, uh, or just your, your thoughts and opinions and words. But for type specifically there, it's a multifaceted issue because it's a commercial product, uh, stands for financial gain where you can, maybe that's your barometer for mm-hmm. success praise. If that's your barometer for success, that could be a considered a win. <laughs> Honestly, Sometimes if you just think how, if if you just think I want to get through this with as little trolling as possible and just have a, a calm release, um, that's almost more of a win these days than, than the opposite. Um, I just don't think we're hardwired to not want to know, to not want the satisfaction of the potential for positive. Yeah, sure. And then we get caught up in the storm that is reality. Yeah, I think I, I've, I mean, you're you have some acting experience. There have been reviews of shows that some. you've been in or pieces that you've done. I yes. Mean, what's the pull for you in trying to look at reviews? Potentially, with with theater reviews, you have quote unquote professionals writing them. Right. Though I had some times where I questioned that thoroughly. <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> and I, you know, I I received bad reviews. I received good reviews. I was compared to Cary Grant once. That was the pinnacle. Nice. Uh, I also was referred to as, what was it? It was something about um, the reviewer Mm. couldn't get over my overacting (laughs) and it ruined his experience. So, you know. Yeah, it's a learning experience uh, perhaps for you. But but that is, there is a rule in, an unspoken rule in acting that in the the dressing rooms, Mm -hmm. you do not Mm -hmm. mention reviews, good or bad, because people will respond. Yeah in all kinds of ways, even to good reviews. Um, so, and I think that is a healthy way about it. I still mm-hmm. read them. A lot of people don't. It's the healthiest not to, I'm I'm sure. But I think 
especially as we get even deeper into a world owned by social media and instant gratification. It's part of it. I would I would love to say that for things I put out into the world, the joy sure. is putting it out into the world and then I let it fly free. I guess I also think about, you know, with with big brands that that put things out. I think about the the mm-hmm. the Cleveland Guardians, the American baseball team. Yes, that was a big change. That made the big change off of the Indians name. They put out their stuff uh, and pretty much everything I saw reaction wise to their to their new brand was like, oh, uh, OK, that's, that's <laughs> fine. It's not great. And so sure, I, wondered, I guess this is happening. <laughs> at what level did they hope for? Like, how good are people mm. at predicting social media response? Do they think did they think that's what people would say or did they think they would be like, this is yeah. amazing. And then everyone was like, right. Pfft. This is probably a really good poll to put out. We should do that. I think gauging uh, Foundry's release expectations and then what expectations were actually met or not once the typeface is released, that would be really interesting to know. I wonder if people think, generally think more highly of what they're putting out or are more worried about what they're putting out. I'm not sure. Let us know. And I will say social media really skews the answers to these questions because um, I think it, it's it's more about how do you, what are you contributing to the larger conversation of type with this release? I think that's what most good foundries these days will be thinking about when they put out a typeface. And it's not so much, you know, what's the social media response going to be? Social media is just a tool to get the word out. Really, I think they're looking at the greater response outside of just social media, uh, you know, their impact on the culture of type, or at least I hope so. I don't know. Maybe that's wishful thinking or me putting that on type, but yeah. <laughs> well, I would say most Twitter responders are doing the exact opposite. They do not care yeah. about the greater non-social media conversation. They're quite happy to say what they say and then flitter off. So as we've been saying, we live in a time full of social media and full of options and choices to make. We are living in a time of abundance Mm -hmm. uh, in all facets of life, not just type and design, um, which is great, sounds great. We definitely, there have been plenty of studies done that say that having choice in economics, it's, it's the general idea of choice is the way you can guide people best. You, if you give them only one choice, you are, yes. are insisting. If you give them multiple choices, you can you can nudge them, but they are the individual's choice. And that's a lovely thing. But there are also plenty of studies out there, uh, yeah. especially in the past decade or so, that discuss what's called the burden of choice or over choice or the paradox of choice, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I'd give you all some choices. <laughs> Pick, pick your take, your definition of choice. <laughs> take your pick of how horrible having too many choices are. Um, and this is, so this is the idea that um, the more options there are, the more paralyzed we actually become. That we yes. become worried that we will not make the optimal choice, that we will regret our choice once we've made it, or just a the, the paralyzing act of having a bunch in front of you and having to... Uh, study and 
and make that decision ends up right. slowing us down instead of making us in any way more efficient. And so, Kyle, is this mm-hmm. something you you feel in your life? Do you recognize the burden of choice as you make your way through the world? Absolutely. Uh, I think especially recently. Um, I mean, us here at Proof & Co., we've been tracking releases all year long here in 2021. And there have been down weeks. There have been up weeks. Um, recently, we've had a lot of the you know, bounty of summer work come through with multiple multiple releases and i've just been thinking about what is the life of these new typefaces going to be like once they're out there in the world right and uh, i couldn't stop thinking about the fact that they're going to encounter some designer somewhere trolling through instagram or looking at foundry sites looking for a typeface for their next project they're going to come across that one and have to make a decision on it whether that's in five seconds because they only get a thumbnail or if it's over an hour of them pouring through right. in detail. Font shopping these days is just burden of choice and you feel it more and more every week. I have been um, this year especially and I've been very curious on how people deal with this. Um, the burden of choice here is uh, I think a big elephant in the room that the font industry is going to have to reckon with at some point people keep saying oh we have too many fonts there's too many out there and i think that's just a result of the uh fear and anxiety surrounding the fact that we are producing a lot of fonts and the burden of choice lands on the folks Mm -hmm. that are uh, on the other end of that equation and it's out of our control as type designers, and it's really tough. And this is not in any way exclusive to the font world. We're at a time yes. in every facet of life. So font uh, typography is just following the lead. Uh, we are at a time where you can have access to so much all the time. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. have your on-demand shows, movies, fonts, friends Yep. Uh, at, a, in, at a pace you couldn't possibly have enough hours in the day for. Um, so let's yeah. let's let's dig a little deeper into the the, the font sure. aspect of this, and let's split this up into two separate conversations. Let's uh, sure. talk about the burden of choice in font in uh, type design versus a separate conversation yes. of type consumerism. So let's start with type design. Yes. So we are in a time now with digital type. And, and variable fonts where anything is possible. Every aspect, every pixel mm-hmm. can be pushed, pulled, manipulated, changed, altered. And that on paper seems to say that we will, we can and will do everything new and innovative and crazy. Right. And you do won't even believe what your eyes are showing you. And yet, I'm not sure... Right. Many people out there uh, would necessarily describe uh, digital font design as as such. Um, that's not to say that innovation does not occur right. regularly, um, but we're still seeing a lot of uh, the same old patterns in the evolution of type. And mm-hmm. so, uh, Kyle, what do you what do you think about why we're seeing a lot of the old old same stuff even with right. this 
all the options available to us. Yeah, again, it's daunting. Uh, the The burden of choice for type designers here lies in which decisions are you going to choose to make and which parts of what are the possibilities that you're going to reject in your process of making a new typeface? If you have the world open to you of what's possible, how do you possibly whittle that down? Um, and I think the 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 chains and shackles of either classification or history or um, expectation of what type's supposed to look like, um, that is weighing us down and informing those decisions that uh, type designers make when um, you're looking at the world of possibility and saying, okay, I'm only going to pick these things. Um, so that ends up just being the same old, same old typefaces getting put out again. Um, so I don't know if we've, uh, if we haven't given variable font technology enough time to play itself out yet or not. I think that's part of it, but we're not seeing the you know extreme poles of what's possible yet um, here and there, but really uh, it's more of the same, which is unfortunate. Yeah, you kind of stole my my point. I think part of that is <laughs> is that variable fonts are still in their infancy. Yeah. And that we'll, we will continue to to see what they do, even though it, it does feel like right off the bat that variable variable fonts should be, uh, you know, that we will see a whole new world. Yeah. A dazzling place will. you never knew. Right. But it's it's true. It does place the burden of choice on the type designer in saying, I can choose any decision now and a whole range of of expressions between two masters or two poles. Um, you know, how do you whittle that down? I think that's going to be, that's the new frontier of challenge for type designers. Well, I do think we, human nature is to be predisposed towards what you already know, to not, to not venture into dangerous woods. And I think that's why we as creators, as designers, as artists, whatever word you want to, to self-identify as, that's why Mm -hmm. we're drawn to the truly innovative, because that's, it, it truly is yeah. going against the grain. and But but my point is, it's not surprising that we will start with what we know and then try to go from mm-hmm. there, which maybe doesn't feel like we're taking yep. leaps. It, we are taking baby steps. And that's even yeah. when you give options, even when you have the option to take those leaps, we're not necessarily predisposed to take them yep. all the time. Yeah, that's a whole different challenge, right? And it also is a discussion we had long ago, I believe in episode two, the evolution of type is, yes. you know, there's there are multiple ways to go about that. There are the the small minutiae mm-hmm. to slowly move forward. And then there are the giant leaps, the stuff you've never seen before. And those mm-hmm. are two different two different paths. And it's maybe not right of us to expect the brand new craziness just because we can. So then let's get back to talking about type consumers, which you already mm. kind of hit on. I mean, this is a maybe a more obvious application of yeah. this burden of choice. We're seeing, we're highlighting hundreds of new fonts every year just in the Proof & Co. Yeah. weekly newsletter. Subscribe today. Um, and that's, we are not exhaustive. We're focusing on mostly Latin fonts. Mm-hmm. We're just two mm-hmm. men. There are probably thousands of new fonts every year. And so how could anyone keep up? And are we actually doing what's best for the industry to churn out uh, so much? 
not because we we think we shouldn't, but because how could anyone possibly keep sure. up with everything that's there? Yeah, I mean, I guess that expresses burden of choice uh, on us as a, a director of your attention in the type world. Mm -hmm. It's true that you and I are, are limited on what we can put out there and feature and highlight, talk about, but also we do make choices on what uh, we like to talk about because we have a certain lens that we like to use of, of independent typography. And I think it's good to have those limiters or uh, I guess basic expression rules for helping you get through the burden of choice. But yeah, I think this is where uh, one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk about this topic today is because the burden of choice on those who we are doing this for, the type consumers out there, they have it even harder than than you and I do. They mm -hmm. actually have to pick one or two for a specific and project. the right one. Yeah. It better be the best one, yeah, the only right. one. Like the idea that there is an Your answer soulmate. out there for their their question of which font should I use. Um, right. It's so hard. There's so many hurdles to get over before getting to the answer to that question. And you do, as a designer, a lot, uh, you do that multiple times, sometimes in the same week or month. Right. How, where does one start <laughs> when trying to pick a typeface? And what is the effect on the intense pressure of that burden of choice on design today? I, I can answer that question uh, on my own, not to uh, steal your thunder there, please, Josh. It, but <laughs> please, it's your podcast. <laughs> I think that there is a diminishing variety and diminishing diversity in the types that are used out there by designers either in big name branding projects or even just small um, you know, ad campaigns or something due to this burden of choice. That's my thesis statement here. And do you think that, that re, reuse is, is based on just comfort and, and knowledge of that it worked before? There, that is uh, point A, absolutely, yes. That it is, mm -hmm. um, okay, that worked, let's do it again. Point B would be the, the market itself is set up for uh, slow evolution and sl and diminishing variety in the sense uh, the way licensing models go out today fonts are expensive and you're going to use the one that you bought for a lot of money and try to get your most out of it constantly trying to seek out that diversity is a real challenge right now in the marketplace asking a designer to constantly seek a new answer to the question which font should i use every time uh, is an additional burden so Perhaps one day licensing models will change to where designers can make faster and uh, more diverse choices in their in their font work. A point C would really be the burden of choice falls on the designer um, to express their personal vision and personal aesthetic by selecting different typefaces every time. You, but they have so many different colors to paint with. They really have to choose from a personal perspective, what they really want. Um, and a lot of times designers refine their palettes very specifically, very quickly. So with the inspiration systems that are out there, Pinterest, Instagram, all the stuff that you're seeing, those personal perspectives are really getting thinned down and everybody starts to look the same because they're being inspired by the same stuff. So hopefully one day the inspiration pipeline feeding tube if you will lovely will 
be more diverse as well to kind of aid in that burden of choice um, and, and freeing people up to make broader, wilder choices right. if they want. Um, so yeah, I think the burden of choice is well and alive in uh, the font consumer, uh, whether it's a designer professional or a, a hobbyist, having good signposts and guides to help you find not just the most popular answers to the, to your question of what font should I use, but the most personal answer. Um, I think that's going to help one day. Right. And so some, some solutions as an individual dealing with mm -hmm. the burden of choice are, I think, first, admitting you have a problem, uh, <laughs> recognizing yes. that the burden of choice exists, mm -hmm. and, and doing what you can to minimize knowing Challenge that yourself. more is not always better yeah. um, is, a, is a good first step. And then here's, here's my advice, and this is, this is true, because I have, I have dealt with the burden of choice quite uh, uh quite a, like i feel that very strongly in my life and so this is true i have a random number generator on my phone and i have that make mm -hmm. multiple choices for me in my life if i oh, cool. if i am not sure what to uh what to watch on tv and i know there's like six or seven things i'd like I'll give them all a number i'll give them all a number and then the generator will tell me and that's what i, do. I like that josh that's cool and it removes that because the the biggest problem for me was the sitting there and like just flipping through what's there mm -hmm. over and over and just not ever pressing play. So it was a yep. time waster. Oh yeah, it was a time suck, <laughs> and that was the that was the real problem. Um, so I I I recommend a mechanism for you to to burst through your indecision. And just to clarify something you said before, more is not always better. I think more choice is not always better but more diversity in the choices that you are making certainly is. Absolutely. Yes, good yeah. good call. So I read recently that uh, Netflix has a lot of data on the moments in which you are trying to decide on what to watch. And they design the thumbnails of each one of their shows in uh, a suite of like half a dozen ways. So every show has these six types of visual thumbnail to appeal to these six different types of uh, right. in, in deciders. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> and I don't- That is cool and a little frightening. It's scary. It's definitely big data, but it is- uh... <laughs> Because I don't, I don't love that they have all this data on people doing nothing. Yeah. They have <laughs> yeah, all this really, data on people <laughs> not being able to make up their freaking minds. Yeah. Is- is really boring data. But it is, I guess, essential to them. As it's valuable to them. People yeah, who are providing absolutely. that choice. Uh, and I think the font industry I, I do would suppose. go crazy if they had that kind of data to say, how do people, what happens <laughs> when people are deciding for their branding project between A, B, and C? How do they make that choice? And what are the things that foundries can do to aid them in that choice better or have better sales or guiding tools to help um, consumers make that choice a little easier. Better specimens, videos. I would love to, I, don't know. I would love to run the study where I watch someone just toil over <laughs> Baskerville, Garamond, Basque, Basque, Garamond, Garaville, Baskerville, Garamond, Garaville, Baskerville. it, I'm going back to Caslon. I don't care. <laughs> 
just man, that's a real insight into the human condition. <laughs> and then they just break down and cry and start rocking. And then we're like, "Thank you for doing your study. Here's your twenty-five dollar gift card." Hey, let's find a let's find an art school somewhere and get some students to partake. Scad, we're coming for you. <laughs> That's it for this week's Interrogang. Special thanks, as always, to editor and all things tech master, Andrew Spheris. Original music featured throughout this episode was also composed by, you guessed it, Andrew Spheris. The Interrogang podcast can be found on our website, proofco.xyz podcast, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere you find your podcasts. If you want to receive more type news and notes, head to our website and subscribe to the weekly newsletter, Follow us on Twitter at proof underscore and underscore co, or email us at hello at proofco.xyz. If you have any questions for us, or have any thoughts on what we discussed in any of our episodes, or if you'd like to thank the number two for bringing you this episode, we'd love to hear from you. As always, thanks for being a part of the Interrogang. We will see you next week. Probably something we can say about type is that it's not really victim to the supply chain problem. I, I can't imagine. I, I can't <laughs> picture it being, uh, Maybe you know. God, all the serifs are stuck on a barge off the coast of <laughs> Los Angeles right now. The serif barge. Son of a bitch. <laughs> serif barge is a good band name yeah, it if is. you don't. If you don't feel like you need anyone to listen to you. Part of a band called Serif Barge. <laughs> <laughs>